All right, take your Bible and go everywhere, okay? And by that, I absolutely mean everywhere. And uh, mostly, to the old, uh, mostly to the New Testament, I should say. We are starting in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter number 7. And uh, this is a good service not to skip, okay? And uh, you are already being faithful. And uh, so you can, you can kind of loosen up the collar. It won't be too hot around the collar uh, for you maybe tonight in a very temporary sense. You're being faithful. Uh, but we're going to give some definitions tonight and try to walk through Scripture. My um, hope tonight and the title for tonight is a biblical survey of faithfulness, the principles of faithfulness across the landscape of the Bible. And uh, it talks about it all over the place. There are plenty of verses, plenty of stories, plenty of context that teach us about the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness of God's people. And uh, so we're going to be all over the Bible, but we will start in the Old Testament and move our way to the New Testament. I think once we jump into the New Testament, uh, we really won't go back to the Old Testament too much. And so uh, kind of stage your bookmarks, if you will, maybe one in First Thessalonians and uh, maybe one near... Uh, Timothy. Uh, We'll be in a couple of those passages together. Uh, Now, the idea of faithfulness, I need to give you a working definition. I'm big on definitions. I want to know what we're looking at. What are the terms uh, that we're dealing with? This idea of faithfulness appears across the landscape of the Bible. it appears in a couple different forms. Sometimes it's uh, uh, translated to the word believing or belief. Uh, most of the time that we're going to see it tonight is going to be uh, translated into the idea of faithfulness. And it appears in a few different kind of definitions and applications. I'll give you a, a kind of a, 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 an illustration of what I mean. Primarily the definition, think about the word faithfulness first. Let's do this. When you think about the word faithfulness, when you think, hey, you want to define someone as faithful or that God is faithful, uh, we all have a concept of what that means, right? Uh, it's a little bit hard to maybe materialize or kind of verbalize. Um, but I want you to think, if I was to ask you to give me a definition of what does it mean that God is faithful or maybe that we should be faithful, what is it that the, ex- what, what's the expectation? What, what, is, what would the definition of that word be? Maybe think in terms of synonyms. What synonym would you use in place of the word faithful? That, that's oftentimes how you can come to a, a definition that's working. But when you look in the Old and the New Testament, primarily the word faithful flows between two kind of equal and not, not exactly opposite definitions, but it flows between the idea of trusting and being trusted. Okay, digest that for a second. When you hear the word faithful, you are flowing between someone who is trusting God or someone, primarily God, who is trusted. So when the Bible defines God as trusted, it's not saying he's trusting in that he believes in man or believes in something other than himself. It means that he is to be trusted. But when you find man being defined as faithful, oftentimes it's defining him as trusting, that Abraham was faithful toward God and that he trusted him. But also at the same time, there are many instances that the Bible defines man as trusted, not just trusting. And that's where faith Faithfulness would come in when we'd say, hey, you know, you need to be faithful to the house of God. You need, that doesn't mean you need to believe you should be in church, though you ought to. It means that you need to be dependable and present and doing what you said you would do and so forth. So the idea of trusted and trusting, Abraham was trusting, whereas God was trusted. Uh, the Bible defines Paul and Timothy and Epaphras and uh, many different men throughout the New Testament. Uh, the very first verse of Ephesians, the very first verse of Colossians are written to Christians who are faithful. Uh, and that's not the word trusting, it's the word trusted. <clears throat> Excuse me, pray for my voice if you will. So it's kind of two parts. It's got two definitions in that it's trusting and trusted, but it also has two kind of relationships with time. Someone can be faithful in the moment, or someone can be faithful because they've, for many moments, been consistent. And so the idea of tonight, I would say, hey, you have been faithful to church. 
Now, you could have skipped every service this last year, and you showed up tonight, and you would fit the definition of faithful, in that you were obedient in the moment. You are doing what you were told to do. But the real implication where trusted kind of comes into its full own is when someone has been faithful, consistent over a long period of time, continuing to do the same things they have been entrusted with. So, again, moving from trusting to trusted, let me kind of give you a Casey definition. This one I didn't find in any dictionaries. It's just kind of how I wrap my mind around it. When you think of someone being faithful, it is someone who is both consistent to do what they are told and to do what they said they would do. Okay, think about it. Someone who is faithful to do what they are told, that doesn't apply to God. He's not been told to do anything, okay? And you can't tell him to do anything. But the second one is a definition of God in that he is faithful to do as he said. So when God is defined as faithful, it's not saying, well, he'll do what I tell him. No, it means that he will do what he said he will do. He will be faithful to the words. Great is thy faithfulness morning by morning. They change not. So the idea of being faithful is someone, a Christian who does what God tells them to do. They're faithful to church. They're faithful to tithe. They're faithful uh, in service. They're doing what they are told, that is faithful, and then they are faithful and dependable in doing what they said or committed that they would do. And so when God tells me to do something, hey, I need to do it and be faithful, I'm being trusting. I'm trusting that what God said to do, I need to do, so I'm being faithful. But then at the same time, if I told God to do something, I'm going to do it. I want God to look at me and say, I can trust that person. That person is trustworthy or reliable. So if you had to pick a one word, uh, synonym, just one, and there's a lot of them, I would pick dependable. Someone who can be depended upon. Someone who is reliable or trustworthy. I know that's more than one synonym, but the idea is still there. If you had to pick one word to replace that in our understanding tonight, it would be the word dependable. And so when we sing, great is thy dependability, that God will do what he said he will do. God will keep the word he said he will, uh, that he would keep. Uh, God is faithful in doing all the things he said he would do. So this evening, I want to take you across the landscape, like I said, of the Bible, to survey this topic uh, of scriptures, and there's only one starting point. When you think about the idea of dependability and faithfulness and trust, uh, uh, trustworthiness, you've got to come to the very first thought in all of your minds and mine as well, and it is that God is faithful. It is his definition. And so we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter number seven, verse number nine. We'll read this, we'll pray, and then we're going to start unpacking a couple things tonight uh, for our service. Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse number nine says, know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So for thousands of generations, God's going to do what he said he would do. That makes him dependable. That makes him reliable. That makes God faithful. And so after our, our prayer, we're going to study the reliability of our God. And then at the end of the service, we're going to take a moment and look at our relationship and responsibility toward faithfulness. I was telling Brother Hunter before the service, I've got eight points and then I've got five points. He says, no way you're fitting that in tonight. Challenge accepted. Okay. And uh, we're going to go for it. I think we'll be just fine on time and you just stay with me. I'll try not to move too fast, but I, I feel like they have to go together. I feel like as we look at the great faithfulness of God, that is what that, that is what really, I don't want to use the word force, but it ought to force our heart to say, hey, he's been so faithful. I ought, to, I ought to reciprocate that back. I ought to be reliable in the things he's trusted me with and entrusted me with. And so God is faithful, but let's pray. And then we're going to jump to Psalm chapter 119 this evening. So Lord Father, would you be with us tonight? 
Would you guide us? Would you be in my voice? It's a little bit struggling tonight. And I, Lord, I don't want to be a distraction and I don't want to be distracted. But I pray, God, that you'll help us this evening. I pray, Lord, that you'll sustain us. And, uh, Father, that you would do a great work in and through the congregation this evening. Lord, thank you for your love toward us. And thank you that you fail not. That you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. That there's never going to be a day you're not the same God. There's never going to be a day where you wake up moody, where, where you even fall asleep. There's never going to be a day where you are different than you've always been. And so, Lord, we, we are so grateful for that faithfulness. And, Lord, we take advantage of it often, and we ought to take advantage of it in the right way. But then sometimes, Lord, we take advantage of it in the wrong way. And we know that you're going to be faithful. We know that you're going to forgive sin. You, we know that you're going to be there for us. And so, Lord, we can, we can leverage that for our own selfish purposes. And, Lord, help us not to be that way. Help us to be reliable. Help us to be dependable as well, to do the things we've been told and to do the things we said we would do. And so, God, would you encourage your congregation tonight? And, uh, Father, I look out and I know that I, in some respects, am preaching to the choir, folks who are faithful to church tonight, folks in the room tonight who are faithful to service. But I also know, God, just by being the pastor, that there are some maybe who should be here tonight that are not here that need this message. And I pray some way or another, God, maybe through live stream or maybe through just your spirit working on them to, to catch it after the fact that they would listen. Lord, we, we all collectively have a responsibility to reciprocate your faithfulness, that you have been so good to us and so unchanging that there ought to be a durability and a dependability and a reliability in each and every one of us, God. We ought to be the ones that you look down and count faithful to put us in ministry to serve you because we are reliable. I pray that you would convict us and change us and shape us into the image of Jesus till he's formed in us. Lord, I know you're going to continue that work. We'll even see that tonight. But God bless us and guide us in our study this evening. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Psalm chapter 119, go there if you would. When it comes to the Lord, uh, like I said, only one half of that definition really applies to him. He is not necessarily trusting as much as he is trusted. Because the idea of trusting means you have to place faith in something else, right? When you sit down, you're trusting a chair. Well, God doesn't need a chair to hold himself up, right? Uh, when you're trusting that a Sunday school teacher will be in their place, uh, he doesn't need a Sunday school teacher to be in their place. He's the God of the universe. He declares the end from the beginning. And so in some respects, God doesn't trust, but he does entrust. And, and I know those sound similar, but there's a difference. God does entrust stewardship to us, but he doesn't trust us. He doesn't need us to come through or this whole thing falls apart. God will just call somebody else. If I failed to do my responsibility as pastor this week, then God can call somebody else to take my position. I'm 100% aware of that. We're all just, uh, 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 what's the word? Not dependable, not expensable. What's Expendable. We're all expendable. Uh, God can put somebody else in our position. And so uh, this definition that applies to God is one that he is trusted, not necessarily that he is trusting. In fact, uh, just real quick, let me get a little bit kind of original languages on you. The, the, the Bible supports this idea. There's two different words. Uh, pistos uh, is the Greek word for trusting, and pisto is the Greek word for trust, uh, trustable or trustworthy. That is the only adjective that describes God. It never describes God as trusting. It always describes him as trusting trusted or trustworthy. And so that's just something for you. But we're going to start our, our study in the Old Testament this morning or this evening. And uh, the faithfulness of God is something well attested to throughout the Old Testament. Uh, you can go to the book of Psalms and find it. In fact, you can write it in your, in your notes. If you're taking notes, go home and read Psalm 89. The entire Psalm deals with the faithfulness of God. We actually had intended to go there to start. We're not going to do that. In fact, we're going to jump over to Psalm 119 and we're going to learn the first thing uh, about the reliability of God is that God is reliable toward every single generation. We, we, we saw some of that already in Deuteronomy 7, 9, but I want to reiterate it for you as the scripture reiterates it in Psalm 119, verse number 90. So look down maybe a page or so over. Psalm 119, verse 90 says, Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. 
Listen to me, there's not a single generation that he was more faithful to than he is to today. And sometimes we, we think, oh, it would have been so much easier. God was so much more present. He was so much more faithful and real to the children of Israel as they came out of Egypt. And they saw the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire and he parted the Red Sea and he was so present in their lives and in a real way. He was, he was more faithful and more, uh, more present to them. Can I just say, there's not an easier or better day to be a Christian or a follower of God than today. You and I have the completed word of God. You and I have the presence of the Holy Spirit of God inside of us. Something they couldn't even fathom, had no comprehension, not even a framework for what that would be like. Uh, you and I live in, in, we have a church. We have the spirit of God. We have the word of God. We have freedoms like they've never known. We have the fullness of knowledge that they would have never had that you and I have. The faithfulness of God is true to this generation as it was to every other generation. He's present and faithful to the church uh, this, this morning, this evening evening. Uh, he's still in the saving business. I rejoice. Someone got saved in Spanish church this morning. Uh, someone got saved in English church last week. And uh, folks who are out there this afternoon, probably folks got saved this week out in the afternoons, uh, uh, soul winning. Uh, there are miracles that are happening all the time. And I don't just mean like God came through. I, I mean like actual, like verifiable uh, medical miracles happened just two weeks ago where God intervened uh, in a very specific way at an exact moment something was needed. God is still God today as he was yesterday. He's still just as faithful the same God to every generation. Uh, and so the, the Old Testament has plenty of, of texts that could teach us more about the faithfulness of God, but I really want us to jump to the New Testament. So you can kind of close off the Old Testament, though there are plenty of places we could go. Really in the Psalms is where we would find most of them, but we're going to jump over to the New Testament. I want you to go to Hebrews chapter two, if you would. If you're going to get the clearest view of the faithfulness of God, you have to look at faithfulness through the fulfilled promise of Jesus Christ. God's faithfulness becomes, through Jesus, listen, God's faithfulness through Christ becomes approachable and personal. In the Old Testament, he was faithful and he'd keep his promises and he'd do as he said, but he was still this, in some respects, unapproachable God. He was still this God behind a curtain. But now because of Jesus, his faithfulness is both approachable and personal to us today. And so if you really want to know the God that can be trusted, you've got to look at him through the New Testament. You've got to look at him through the revelation after the person of Jesus Christ. After he brings us back into fellowship and makes a new and living way into the holy presence of God. Now we get to begin to see the real definition and volume of God's faithfulness as revealed through Jesus. That biggest and greatest promise ever given, now fulfilled in the person of Christ. In the New Testament, we really get these high definition view uh, of God's faithfulness. And so that's where we're going to find our second uh, truth about God's faithfulness being brought forward in the theology of the New Testament. Number two, we learn about the faithfulness of God, that he is a faithful high priest. Now, Hebrews chapter two, if you've been in my study in Sunday school, you're already familiar with most of this, so we won't spend a lot of time here. But the idea of a priest is someone who fulfills the law's requirements. They're not a mediator, but they are someone that the law has been given, they fulfill the law's requirements so as to associate man back to God. Now, if you've ever wondered, and this came up in my starting point class, people say, well, why, aren't, why don't we have priests? Because you don't need a man to relate you to God. Amen. You had one mediator, the man Christ Jesus, he relates us to God. But in the Old Testament, we had priests who would fulfill the law so that man could be ceremonially clean or ritualistically clean or symbolically enjoined back to God through these sacrifices that would have to be made over and over and over again. Though the New Testament is very clear, read the book of Hebrews, none of those sacrifices, not a single drop of that blood ever forgave a single sin, but Jesus did. And he is a faithful high priest, faithfully relating us back to God. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. 
Wherefore, in all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Jesus was and is our high priest relating us to God, and he is faithful at it. Thank God for that. Thank God that there is a mediator between me and God, because, man, if it was up to me and my faithfulness, I couldn't be related to him. I couldn't be in his presence. And yet because of the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. That high priest is finished and it is done. So when we think about the faithfulness of God, number one, he's faithful to all generations. Number two, he is a faithful priest to us. But these next three attributes, go with me to 1 Thessalonians. I kind of told you to throw a ribbon there. Keep a ribbon there. We're going to be in 2 Thessalonians in a little bit. And I think back to 1 Thessalonians as well. So jump over there. We'll learn our third uh, uh, relationship uh, uh, with, uh, not, not a third relationship, the third way that God is faithful. Now, these next attributes, these, there are three of them we're going to give kind of in, in successive order, deal with God's relationship and faithfulness toward our sin. So you're going to find that a common theme in the next three. Number three, we find that he is faithful to preserve us and present us blameless. Now, this is sanctification, that God, who is beginning a work of sanctification in you, is faithful to carry you through that work. And I'm grateful for that, because oftentimes I, by will, want to jump off that wagon. But God's faithfulness says, no, Casey, knucklehead, get back over here. You're supposed to be formed into the image of Jesus. And God is faithful to do that, he be, that which he began in us. Look at First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. It says, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. I love it. I love it. He says, listen, God is calling you to faithfulness, to present your body and your soul to him holy in sanctification. But God is faithful in that he called you to sanctification. He is the one who will also do it. So think about that definition. He is trustworthy. The process of sanctification can be entrusted into the hands of God. It can't be entrusted into your hands and mine. It's entrusted into his hands. Thank God for that. That he is faithful to do what he began in us. God is faithfully working in your life and in mine every single day. When he brings conviction in our life, what is he doing? He's being faithful. Well, when, when he reproves us of something we know we shouldn't have done or something we maybe even didn't know we should have done or shouldn't have done. Maybe you're a brand new Christian and, man, you're trying to figure out, is that wrong? Is that not wrong? And the Holy Spirit begins to convict you. What is that? That's the faithfulness of God. Faithfully forming you into the image of Jesus. And that is his responsibility to do in you. When he calls you to repentance or calls you to uh, abandon some destructive behavior, or as we saw this morning, he brings you low in your sin so that you might turn and call upon Jesus. And he is faithful to never leave us or forsake us in this process of sanctification. And praise be to God for that. Now, sure, sometimes, like we saw, he'll let us taste our own destruction, right? So that we come low, so that we come back. Uh, he'll allow that. But he, he, he does this so that Christ can be formed in you and in me. And he's faithful in that work. He is reliable in that work. He is dependable in that work. What he said he will do, what he called us to, he will do it. And so again, our responsibility in that is submission, right? Just, I've said it so many times, the mastery of the Christian life is a mastery of surrender. It's not a mastery of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and being stronger than your flesh. That's not going to happen. If you will simply walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you will surrender to the will of God in your life today and surrender to his, his faithful reforming of you, he can and will bring you on this process of sanctification and, and the reforming of Jesus in you because he's faithful to that. He's faithful to every generation. He's faithful as a high priest. He is faithful in the work of sanctification in your life. Go to 2 Thessalonians, maybe a page or two over, chapter 3. 
We're going to learn number four tonight. He is faithful to preserve us from evil. I am so grateful for this particular truth tonight. He is faithful to preserve us from evil. Now, we've got to read this text with a little bit of um, a critical mind. Not, not critical in a bad way, but paying attention and trying to understand what's in front of us, okay? So turn your reading comprehension up just a little bit and pay attention to what seems like it's not a contradiction. It's definitely not a contradiction, but there's, there's tension between what Paul is asking for and then what Paul expects. Look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 3, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it was with you. And that we, notice what he prays for. He's asking them to pray for us. That we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. He says, hey, pray that God's word can go forward. Pray that wicked men do not overthrow us. But then notice Paul's voice of confidence in verse 3. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. So, so did you notice the tension there? On one hand, he says, hey, I, I trust that God is going to deliver you from evil. But hey, would you pray that evil men don't overcome us? So, so hold on. Did, did, didn't Paul just ask that he wouldn't be overtaken? And now he's saying that God would deliver them. Well, does this mean that if evil overtook Paul, that God was unfaithful and God was unreliable? Well, no, 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 no. Listen, in fact, think about the ministry of Paul. Paul would be overtaken by unreasonable men. Paul would be overtaken by wicked people. And he would be taken and thrown into prison. And I want you to know this. Evil is defined as the working of Satan. Was it the working of Satan that Paul be taken by boat that was run and paid for and commissioned by Rome to take him by boat to bring the gospel to Rome where he'd be in prison in a house church where he could write most of the New Testament or in prison in a, uh, in a home where he could write most of the New Testament and the gospel could go forward. Is that the working of Satan or the working of God? That's the working of God. So it's not evil. It was painful. It was certainly inconvenient. It was difficult, but it was all a part of God's plan to work for good. So here's what God, here's what Paul says. Hey, pray that evil men can't overthrow this thing, but understand that God is going to keep you from the working of Satan. That doesn't mean God's going to keep you from hardship. It means that he's going to keep you from hardship that brought to you by Satan. God is going to send you through hardship and allow you to go through difficult circumstances, but that is not evil. That is God doing something for good. He may be using someone who meant it for evil as with Joseph, but God meant it for good. And so here's what, here's what God, here's what Paul is saying. God is never going to let you fall into the hands of Satan. As a Christian, Satan has no power over you. The circumstances in your situation in life uh, are, are filtered through the hands of God. Now, you can throw yourself into all manner of evil concupiscence. You can throw yourself into all manner of evil situations. You can remove yourself from the freedom that Jesus purchased you for. Now, you can remove yourself and put yourself under evil. But here's the fact. God never will. God is faithful. He'll never put you into evil circumstances. He'll never give you over to Satan in that regard. Now, again, by our free will, we can overrule him and, and enter ourselves into all manner of bondage, but God has promised to deliver us from it. And it's the birthright of every Christian to walk in that freedom that Christ has purchased. It's what Jesus was saying, deliver us from temptation. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Hey, Lord, don't let us fall into evil circumstances. And God says, hey, I'm faithful. I'm not going to take you into that. Now, listen, I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He's faithful to continue his work of sanctification. He's faithful to deliver us from evil. And then he's faithful to help us to make a way for us to overcome sin. So let's say we find ourselves facing down temptation. What, what are we, what's going on here? Well, let me say, number one, God didn't put you in that because God doesn't tempt any man with evil. The Bible is very clear about that. But God is faithful even in a situation where evil presents itself and temptation presents itself. God is faithful in that he will always give you a way to overcome it. 
Let me lean into that as you're turning to 1 Corinthians 10. Sometimes I'll meet with people and they'll say, Pastor, you just don't understand. This temptation was so much, I couldn't overcome it. So either you're right or God is. Either you're saying God, what you're saying in that statement, I couldn't overcome it. You're saying God was not faithful and did not give me a way of escape. In my temptation, it was so much that I had to do it. Satan made me do it. That is a lie of the devil because God is faithful. He is trustworthy and reliable in every circumstance you find yourself in. When there is temptation in every one of those situations, there is a fire escape. Now, I understand, you know, Brother Jim's a firefighter and and I don't know much about that world, but I would assume that there are some times where you might be trapped in a room and there's legitimately no way to get out and someone might perish in that setting. That is never the case with sin for God's people. There is never a place where you are in a situation of temptation where there is no escape. There is always a way out of it. There is always a way to say no. There is always a way to make a righteous decision. There is always a fire escape. The problem is we don't look for it. Temptation comes. We start warming ourselves by that fire. We start kind of contemplating what it would be like. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves in bondage when reality is the escape door was right there. Calling your spouse, calling a friend, putting your phone down throwing your phone in the toilet, getting rid of it some way, shape, or form. There is always a way of escape. How do you know that? You weren't in my situation because God said he was faithful. And that means he's trustworthy and reliable. I'm going to take his reliability over yours in this story. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. What you're facing in your big, hard moment of decision, men face that all the time. You're not the first Christian to struggle with something. You're not the first Christian Satan tempted. They tempted Jesus. You're not the first person to ever be tempted with that. Christ was tempted in all points like we were, yet without sin. It says that he, uh, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. That means he can be trusted and is reliable, dependable every time, who will not suffer you, not allow you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Go to 1 John chapter number one. Listen, uh, let's say we find ourselves uh, uh, that we've succumbed to some sin. We've messed up. Is it over for us? We've abused the faithfulness of God. He made a way of escape. We ignored that way of escape. Does that mean that God is going to give up on us and he's no longer reliable? Nope. He is faithful to forgive us of our sins. And you probably know the verse, 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, I'm going to read for you what Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 says. It says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Listen, God can and and probably should destroy us when we mess up. And yet his mercies are new every morning. He said it to Jacob, to Israel. He said, hey, it's not because of you you haven't been destroyed. It's because of me. It's because of my faithfulness to you. You have already uh, broken this covenant. You've already uh, disobeyed. You've already dishonored me. They didn't make it a few steps from the sprinkling of Moses before they started violating the, the, the covenant they already had just agreed to. And yet because of his mercy, because of his faithfulness, they are not consumed. And the same thing is true for us. God is reliable and that he will forgive you. That means that there's never going to come a time where you've messed up so much that God won't take you back uh, as his child and brush you off. Now, again, that might come with some burden, some baggage, some scars. Uh, You may have pardon, not a parachute, uh, but he'll still take you back. 
He'll still love on you. He'll still try to use the remnants. He can make beauty for ashes. He can make all things beautiful in his time. Uh, but again, thank God that his faithfulness to forgive is based on his reliability and not ours. Because if it was based on our reliability, we would break this thing to day one. Um, now, go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I told you we'd be in Timothy and, and uh, Thessalonians a lot tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Before we round out our study on the faithfulness of God, we're moving along just fine. I really want to get to the, the application phase, and that's our responsibility toward faithfulness. Before we get to the last two attributes of God's faithfulness, let me just recap. He's faithful to every generation, number one. He's a faithful high priest, number two, in relating us to God. Number three, he is faithful to continue the work of sanctification in each of us. Number four, uh, he is faithful to deliver us from evil. Number five, he is faithful to make a way through temptation. Number six, he is faithful to forgive us our sins. Number seven, and number eight, we'll move through quicker, he is faithful even in our times of doubting. Even when we don't believe him to be faithful. Even when we don't think, we use the illustration of a chair, even when we think, well, I know he said he would, but I'm not totally sure that he'll hold my weight on this one. God is still faithful. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. It says, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Listen, uh, he doesn't need me to believe in him for him to be faithful. He will not change. He cannot deny himself. He cannot change his nature or violate his promises. Uh, you know, every Christmas, and I talk about this probably every Christmas too, in every Christmas movie, you know, Santa's losing his power because the children no longer believe. And there's a belief meter that, you know, the reindeer can't fly because the belief meter that does not exist with God. Believe him or not, he's the sovereign of the universe. Believe him or not, he will be faithful. When you say, when, when, when your heart condemns you and says, you can't go back to him, he won't forgive you. Well, God will not deny himself. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He's going to do what he said he was going to do. When we think we're so far God, God can't rescue us. Nope, that's not true. You don't have to believe in him. Now, you ought to believe in him, but you don't have to believe in him for him to be faithful, for him to uphold who he is and not change. And so again, he is faithful even when we doubt. And our last truth is, I love this. You got to go see it because it's going to apply to our last truth for us. Revelation chapter number 19, if you would. Our last truth when it comes to the faithfulness of God is that at the end of all of this, when Jesus comes back to establish an earthly kingdom, I want you to notice what title he is given. Okay? Revelation chapter 19, verse number 11. The Bible says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called. What is it? Faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. So even when it's all said and done, even as he comes to judge and make war, he is called faithful and true. It's his title. It's who he is. He is to be trusted. He is durable, reliable, faithful, dependable, all of those things. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that saved us, loved us. He's, he's all of those things. And this is the God, would you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, who then in turn calls us to be faithful to him. And that shouldn't be that hard of an ask. But yet so often it is. So oftentimes Christians fail to reciprocate faithfulness back to a God who has been nothing but faithful to them. And listen, every person in the room is grateful God is dependable. But then oftentimes Christians can't be dependable themselves. They're grateful God keeps his word, but they themselves will not keep their word. 
They'll make hollow commitments to him and, and they'll promise obedience. And, and maybe even in a, uh, an emergency room situation, if you do this and get me out of this, I'll do that. Number one, God is not interested in your bartering. You have nothing to barter with God. You know, it's funny, like my kids will do that after they get candy for some birthday or something and they'll set up a little candy shop and they'll barter with each other. I had one of my older children talk Abigail out of all of her chocolate for one bag of pretzels. Super smooth move. And uh, dad intervened and made sure that was not gonna stand. But we have nothing to barter with. We don't even have a bag of pretzels he needs, right? They, they played on the emotions of Abby for, for pretzels. Isn't it tough being a pastor's kid? All the illustrations are about you. None of the good ones. It's always the bad ones. Always the bad ones. That's okay. But we have Christians who are grateful for the dependability of God. But they themselves, when it comes to serving, are not dependable. They're not present. They're not even present in the moment of faithfulness, let alone the long-term dependability of faithfulness. They cannot obey the words of God. They cannot be faithful to a prayer closet that God shows up to every day. But let me ask you, before we even get into it, how would you rate your dependability when it comes to the Christian life? And we'll get into the specifics in a second. But how would you relate that? Are you reliable? Can the great God of heaven entrust you with sacred responsibility? Because faithfulness is not some admirable quality that would be nice for Christians to have. In fact, it's a requirement of God's people. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Please go there. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I think I told you already to do that. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 1. It said, Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That's every single one of us. I know the Apostle Paul speaking in first person right there, but every single Christian is a steward of the mysteries of God. You've been handed the truth of God's word. What once was held in mystery, we talked a little bit about that when it came to Cain. We talk a lot about that when it comes to the Old Testament. There were certain salvational truths that were not quite clear in the Old Testament. They were considered mysteries, but now they're clear to us. We see them in the New Testament. We see them through the lens of Jesus. They're no longer mysteries. We've been given them, and we've also been given the responsibility to steward them. And notice what is required. You all know the verse of stewards. Verse 2, it doesn't say it would be nice if stewards were faithful. It's an admirable thing. It's an oddity if a steward is faithful. No, if a steward isn't faithful, he's no longer a steward. It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So let's momentarily revisit the definition. Faithful is one who is dependable to do what they have been instructed. Faithful is one who is dependable to do as they have committed. Would you go to 1 Timothy chapter 1? Can we just stop and take a moment of self-examination? Are we faithful to do what God has instructed us? The vast majority of us are doing less than we know to do. We think, well, I got to go back to church um, so I can hear another thing I should grow in. And that's absolutely true. But we're already not doing the stuff we already know. I'm certainly not advocating for saying, well, I'm already not doing it, so I just won't come back and get more. Certainly not advocating for less faithfulness. But to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. We already know more than we're doing, uh, more than we're obeying. And I, I'm, I'm, let me just sidebar for a second. I'm definitely not advocating for the more you do, the more spiritual you are. That's not necessarily the case. I think every Christian should serve Jesus every single week of their life. They ought to come with an offering to sacrifice from their hands, heart, and head. That They give something to the, the work of Jesus, whether it's through teaching or serving or back, you know, backstage, front stage, all of that whole thing. Every Christian every week should not just be sitting and absorbing. They should be coming and bringing some sacrifice to Jesus. But again, just because you do 100 million things does not mean that you are necessarily more spiritual. Now, if you're faithful in little, God will make you ruler over much. So I'm not, I'm not saying, hey, if you're, faith, if you're doing a bunch of stuff, you're not spiritual. Definitely not saying that either. 
But sometimes we in our American busy Christianity think, well, more equals more, and that's not always the case. So dependable in doing what you've been instructed, dependable in doing what you've committed. So are we faithful to those things? I want to show you five specific areas in the New Testament that God calls all of us specifically toward faithfulness. Now, you could, you could make this list really, really long. You could talk about being faithful in marriage and faithful in giving, but I'm just going to the text that explicitly state God's expectation is faithfulness. Number one, we need to be faithful in the work of ministry. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 12. This is a personal testimony of Paul, and it's also, the Bible tells us that Paul was given to be a pattern for us. And so it's a pattern we ought to follow. 1 Timothy 1, verse number 12 says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful. So let's just real quick unpack that other word. You know what faithful means? Enabled means to give supernatural ability to do what? Well, he enabled him for he counted me faithful to do what? Putting me into the ministry. So what you're seeing here is Paul says, God looked down from heaven and saw me as trustworthy. God looked down from heaven and saw me as reliable and dependable. And because he saw me as reliable and dependable, he gave me supernatural enablement to do the work of ministry. Some of us have been entrusted with ministry because you were faithful. Let me ask you, though, are you still faithful? Because when God looks down, he says, hey, that person's faithful. And this happens often in a, in a very real practical setting in church where, uh, all right, Lord, we need someone to serve in this capacity. Who's being faithful? We need to put them in that position so they can serve because they're being faithful. Listen, faithfulness is an absolute requirement before you can serve. That's the rule of Faith Baptist Church. If you are not actively sitting, you cannot actively be serving. If you are actively and faithfully sitting, you can begin to faithfully serve. Uh, but what happens sometimes is Christians will show up just for their service. And that's not faithful. You may be doing work of ministry, but you're not doing the Christianity side of ministry. Let me ask you, are you setting the example that you teach in maybe your class or in your family? Are you living out the Christianity you tell your children to? Are we dependable to do the things we have committed to in our respective areas of service? Stewards are managers of things that do not belong to them. Every person who teaches at Faith Baptist Church teaches someone who doesn't belong to them myself included. You are the Lord's heritage. You don't belong to me. I happen to be your pastor. You happen to go to the church that I pastor at and called, been called to pastor at. But the fact of the matter is you belong to Jesus. And so I must be faithful to steward the responsibility I have been given, but it's not mine. A steward is someone who manages someone else's property. And God says, I require it. If they are to manage my property, that they be faithful. Every Sunday school teacher is a steward. Every single person with a paycheck is a steward. Every single parent is a steward. Like I mentioned, every pastor is a steward. And God demands reliability and faithfulness. It's tough. And I end up being the bad guy sometimes as a pastor when I come and say, hey, I, you know, a year ago you got put in this position because you were faithful and you're no longer faithful. And now I got to take you out of this position because you're not faithful. And, and I end up with egg on my face. And let me just say, that's, that's not how this should work. <laughs> you've, you've been given a responsibility. Be dependable in that responsibility. Be dependable in nursery. Be dependable in the, the, uh, the security ministry. Be dependable in a Sunday school class. Be dependable when it comes to church uh, uh, attendance. Listen, the Bible says even a child is known by their doings, whether their works be pure or whether they be evil. So when someone hears your name, what testimony comes with that? Faithful or, or not? We obviously don't live for people's opinion. 
But, but our testimony is, is set by our actions. And God says of a steward, it is required that they be faithful. I want you to notice number two. Number one, God demands faithfulness in ministry service. Number two, go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number two. God requires faithfulness toward the teaching of the word of God. I'll say this before I get there. Teaching the word of God is in every Christian responsibility. Every Christian. Doesn't mean every Christian is going to be a Sunday school teacher or a junior church teacher. Doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean every single Christian is responsible to teach the word of God. That is the definition of faithful. We've, we've unpacked this verse before, but 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 2, it says, The things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou unto faithful men. Well, what's a faithful man? Someone who shall be able to teach others also. Listen, faithfulness is an action, not merely an attendance. We are faithful by doing, not just by coming. So being faithful as a Christian isn't just, you know, checking the box Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Praise God if you're faithful to the house of God. That's important. But there is a biblical responsibility to be faithful toward the stewardship of God's word. Every single one of us ought to learn this book so we can pass it to somebody else. In fact, the book of Hebrews says at what time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again. Such as become the first oracles of God. The biblical expectation is that all of us would grow, that we would learn, and that we would pass it on to somebody else. That we begin to teach other faithful men who would teach other faithful men. Because the fact of the matter is, faithfulness is a reproduction of Christianity. Faithfulness is discipleship. Passing it to someone else who's going to pass it to someone else so that the word goes forth like it has for generations. Like it has for every generation from Christ till today here in Bakersfield. And so is this something that you have an active role in? Is teaching the word of God something you presently have an active role in? If not... I would, rather, I would invite you to reevaluate how you measure faithfulness because he has entrusted the word to every single one of us. So it's not an issue of calling. Well, I don't feel called to, to you know, share the word of God with my coworkers. So that's not a matter of calling. You've already been called. You've already been told. You've already been commissioned. Be even greater than a call. You've already been commissioned. Well, I don't have the gift set. Doesn't, it's not about gift set. Every single person is responsible for this. In fact, Paul says, I was enabled to do the work of ministry because he counted me faithful, and I was just going to go do it and be faithful to it, so he gave me supernatural enablement to go and do it. And so listen, we need to be faithful to take steps as a parent, as a Christian, to hand the word of God to someone else and to hand the faith of Jesus to someone else. Would you go to Luke chapter number 16? We've only got uh, uh, three more, so hold on, we're almost there. Faithful in ministry service is a specific command by God. Faithful in stewarding the word is a specific command given by God. Luke chapter number 16, we're going to find that we should be, we are expected to be, called to be faithful over the little things. Faithful over the little things. In Luke 16, I'll give you just kind of the parable that Jesus gives. There's a rich man who has an unjust steward. He hears about this man not being faithful with his money, and so he calls this man to, to, to task and says, you've not been faithful. And before he even shows up to that meeting, he kind of, he not panics, but he actually does something very resourceful and decides, hey, uh, maybe I can get a little bit of grace. I'm going to go and call all of the people who owe my master a debt, and I'm going to settle his debts for just a little less, uh, where someone owes him 100. He says, hey, sign it for, for 80 and give me what you owe, and I'll bring this to my master. And he does a very wise thing. And the unjust steward is commended for having done wisely is what the Bible says. But then after the parable, the Lord begins to teach about stewardship. And he says this in verse, six, uh, in verse 10 of Luke 16. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful, faithful also in much. He that is unjust in the least is, also, is unjust also in the much. 
And he goes on to talk about how if you can't steward the things of this world, how can you be trusted with spiritual things? And listen, the idea is that if we are dependable over small things, that God can make us ruler over much things. And we'll see some of that in Matthew. In fact, you can go there right now. It's our, our next passage we're going to head to. I think it's Matthew. Uh, Matthew is where we're going to go. We're going to be in Revelation 2 first, okay? Matthew is where we're going to end up. But this idea of being faithful over little so that God can give you more responsibility over much. And, and I wish it were true that all of God's people would be faithful in every single responsibility. I wish that I would be faithful in every single one of God's responsibilities he's given to me. But when God gives you little, it's not so that you can just feel comfortable and master the little. It's so that you can grow in the mastery of the little so he can give you more. And then grow in that area so that he can give you more. So that he can accomplish more through you. We've said it so many times, right? Many hands don't make light work. It makes more work get done. Because this is too monumental of a task. So if all of Faith Baptist Church started soul winning, we wouldn't necessarily have light work on our hands. We would just accomplish more for the kingdom of God. So, so it, it's not like, hey, if you show up, that means I can take you know, the day off. No, no. It just means that fewer are doing the, the, the work than should be. Uh, and this idea of being faithful over little things and God allowing you to be faithful over more things and more things and more things. But the problem is, and when there's a lack of dependability, then, then how could we trust with more and with more and with more? Um, think about this. Philip was a faithful deacon who became a faithful evangelist. Barnabas was a faithful sidekick, as it were, who became a faithful missions team leader. Timothy, the same thing. Epaphras, the same thing. There's so many men who started, even Paul, the Bible says, and Saul. I love that. Barnabas and Saul. And eventually it started being Paul and Barnabas. Almost none of us would say Barnabas and Paul. It just wouldn't roll because that's what the most of the New Testament says. But you realize when it started that story, it was Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul. And eventually it became Saul and Barnabas or Paul and Barnabas. So in your faithful over things, God begins to give you more to steward and more to be faithful over. And that's not a matter of lordship. It's a matter of bringing glory to God. When you're faithful over the much, there's a great reward for your much uh, faithfulness. So I love the final two and they'll just be brief this evening. Faithful unto death. Revelation chapter number two gives us this brief admonishment for those um, going through uh, the, the hardship and, and circumstances of the tribulation. And it tells us this, and this would certainly apply to our day and age today, though we're not in the tribulation. Revelation chapter two, verse number 10 says this, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried and ye shall have tribulation 10 days. Be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee a crown of life. Faithfulness is something God expects of his people, even faithfulness to the grave. But just as in the end, his title is faithful, ours should reflect that as well. Now I want you to go, excuse me, to Matthew chapter 25. This will be our last place we, we turn. Keeping in mind that, that faithful unto death equals a crown of life. Not everybody gets a crown of life. Those who are faithful unto death get a crown of life. But in the parable in Matthew chapter 25, we're going to learn that just like Jesus' final, this title that's given to him at the end of time, that he is faithful and true, you and I are looking for a faithful at the very end of this all as well. In the parable about stewarding this life and our talents, Jesus speaks of the just steward and his someday reward in Matthew 25, 21. And the Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. So listen, we are looking for that faithful at the end as well. He will be faithful at the end, but only those who are faithful will be called faithful at the end. We mentioned it briefly, and I'm done with this. We mentioned it briefly this morning in Sunday school. There are no participation crowns in heaven. So that means this. If at Faith Baptist Church, or any church for that matter, 
if 80% of the work is done by 20% of the dependable people, what that means in heaven is that 80% of the rewards go to 20% of the congregation. It's not communal in heaven. We're not sharing crowns in heaven. So when, when you are faithful and your, your works are tried yet so as by fire, my works stand alone on their own. And your works, or lack thereof, stand alone on their own. So if all the work at Faith Baptist Church is done by a handful of select people, then that means if there was a pile of rewards, there's not, but if there was a pile of rewards in heaven, that would only go to those handful of people. There is no participation trophy in heaven. When you live as a faithful steward of the mysteries of God in this life, you will be rewarded handsomely in the next. But God is austere in that he keeps perfect records. There's no fudging of the numbers when it comes to the reward. Listen, the, the parable of the penny, right? So this guy comes at the beginning of the day and, hey, for one penny, you'll work. And this guy comes midday and, hey, for one penny, you'll work. And this guy comes the last hour and, hey, for one penny, you'll work. They all got a penny at the end of the day. We're all getting heaven at the end of the day, whether you get saved at the very end of your life or saved as a child in the nursery. But when it comes to rewards, there is a measure of austerity that God uses, that those who have been faithful, he rewards handsomely. Those who have been unfaithful, he does not. He doesn't say, well, you know, you made it. Here's a crown of life. I don't get the martyr's crown unless I deserve it, right? I don't get the crown of life unless I've earned it. Now, again, all of those things are not for my glory. And that would make it weird, right? If in heaven, I'm like walking around with all this, you know, uh, you know, jewelry. Like, hey, look at me how awesome I am. No, no, no. Every single ounce of that gold is going back to his feet as a thank you for him. And you can go back and read the book of Revelation. Before it gets to us casting crowns, it goes to the beasts. And the beasts, they cry, thank you. Thank you, thank you. We don't cry, thank you. We throw crowns as our thank you. And so at the end of it all, those who are faithful will receive the reward of their labor. Those who have not been, it will be manifest on that day. And the Bible says, listen, they will survive, but they'll suffer loss. And on that day, there's no doubt in my mind, some of the things that I have done, I've done for the wrong reasons and wrong motives. And some of that's going to burn up and some of yours is going to burn up too. But I want a pile of things to pass through the fire. I want as big of a mountain to be tried by fire as I can possibly get. So I want to be as faithful as I possibly can over the little. And if by seeing my faithfulness in the little, he makes me ruler over much. And in that much, I'm faithful and he can make me ruler over more so that I can be faithful and steward so that someday that pile of, of gold, hopefully, and not wood, hay, and stubble uh, will pass through and I can give it back to Jesus as a thank you for his glory and his honor. And I want to live my life for that. Or I can live my life in convenience, unreliable, undependable, making promises I make no intention to keep, Faithful maybe in a moment, and they're not faithful in the long run. We'll all give account for that. But my challenge to you is in reciprocity to the perfect, unbroken faithfulness of the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, that you and I live a responsive life of faithfulness back to him. Let's pray.